morning, church. What a great day to be with you. You know, when I come here, I can't help but feel like I'm at home. Many of you have been a part of the ministry of the gospel at work in Cross Point for years. You've been able to watch God in my life. I've been able to watch God in your life. And today, we get to relish in the glory of our Savior Jesus together. We get to get a foretaste of heaven, knowing that he is ransomed by his blood, our salvation, and he has purchased our worship. And so he is deserving of all glory, honor, and praise now and forever. Amen? Amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan. I'm uh, a pastor at Cross Point near downtown. We still call it Cross Point Downtown because I don't want to change the name of the website, but uh, we're, uh, we're, we're near the downtown uh, Orlando, but in the Conway area. Uh, I've served on, for a decade uh, at this church uh, when we were in Lake Nona. Uh, I came to Christ at this church in Lake Nona. Amen. Yeah. And today, uh, I have the opportunity to serve you to serve Christ's church by exalting Jesus through the word of truth, the gospel. And so thank you for this opportunity. Um, Jose, how much time do I got? Do I got like an hour or so? Is that right? Hour and 15 minutes? Whatever I want. Thanks. Thanks. Um, If you have a Bible or your phone, an app, turn with me to Psalm 13. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as I read this passage of Scripture. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This morning I have been assigned a task that many preachers seek to avoid. And I'll be honest, it's not one that I would pick myself if I were coming to preach to uh, another church. But as God would have it this morning, I'm tasked with preaching on lament, the valley of lament. You know, life comes with peaks and valleys. We're all on a journey. We like the peaks and we can despise the valleys, but the valleys help take us to the peak. And the valley of lament is a necessary valley for us to walk through 
It is the valley of the shadow of death. It is the valley that reminds us that we are living in a broken world. And God invites us to come to him with our tears in prayer. And so we have this lament from David, and and David takes us from verse 1 to verse 6, from desolation to delight, all in six verses. And the circumstances between verse 1 and verse 6 have not changed. So he is living in the tension in this song between desolation and delight. That is very much the tension that we all live in. We love the stories of miracles. We love the story of Exodus, for example, where the Red Sea is parted and God's people walk from one side of the sea to the other on dry land and Pharaoh's army comes after them and yet they are overtaken by the Lord as the water closes in on them and they rejoice and we see these miracles and yes, God does give us these miracles in life, but our lives are less lived in Exodus and more lived in Lamentations. You know, in the Psalms, over one-third are Psalms of Lament. Every week on Friday, I go with one of my children to breakfast for the purpose of discipleship. And it looks rather simple. We just use the Bible to have a conversation. And when we're studying the Word of God together, and we're talking about life, it often can lead me to tears. I am the weeping daddy, um, the weeping pastor. Um, And one time my daughter, Adeline, she's my oldest girl. She says, dad, why do you cry so much? Uh, And I said to her, sweetie, because life can be filled with sadness and sorrow. I, 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 five minutes here today, I heard some stories of just sadness and sorrow in many of your lives. It's okay to cry. God invites us here to bring those tears to him. So I'm going to give you permission to allow God to minister through your grief today where you face it and where you are not facing it today for God to prepare you for the grief that is to come because there is a joy that comes in the morning. Okay. But we do have to learn to grieve in the valley. So let's pray. Lord, We know that grief cannot be learned by information, but only by experience. And there is not one of us who has not suffered or one of us who will not suffer. So Lord, we come to you with our tears. We come to you with our sadness. We come to you with our sorrow. Lord, we come to you with the whole wellspring of emotions that we're living in today. And Lord, we also seek empathy to enter into one another's struggles here this morning, that you would bring unity and oneness. And Father, I do pray for Steve, um, as Steve is getting this time of refreshment, and we know that that time of refreshment includes lament for him, uh, lament over the loss of his father, and so much other things that he's processing. But God, we also know that that refreshment uh, is coming. So we lift him up. We ask that your spirit would speak in Christ's name. Amen. Solomon speaks of stark contrast between the worlds that we live in, between desolation and delight when he 
writes in his wisdom literature from Ecclesiastes, the season for everything under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stone together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, if I were to put the times in two different columns, we would all choose one column over the other. We would all do it. We would all choose the times that seem more beautiful. We would all choose the peak and not the valley. But yet it is the valley that helps us embrace the peak. It is the valley that prepares us for the joy. It is the valley that makes the, the peak that much more beautiful, that much more sweet. And we're all up the on the journey up the mountain to the peak, but yet the valley seems as though it's never ending. This is why David howls, how long, O Lord? How long? This psalm can be divided into three parts. The first part would be a turning to God in honesty in verses 1 and 2. The second part would be this bold petitioning and asking God for his help in verses 3 and 4. And then the third part is a trusting in God's unfailing love. So you turn to God, you ask God, and you trust him. That's the three-part movement of this lament. In fact, that is the way we learn lament from the word of God is by modeling our lament from this. You know, the Psalms are really beautiful because the Psalms encompass a a wide variety of all human emotion. John Calvin calls the Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And what is unique about lament is that lament is a unique Christian experience. We all enter the world crying right? We all enter the world crying, but only a Christian laments. Why is it that only a Christian laments? Because a Christian brings their tears to God. We don't run from God. We turn towards him. And you hear the honesty of David's cry. We don't know what David's going through. And I think it's rather intentional that we don't know what he's going through because we can all bring our circumstances to the Lord and we're given permission in this psalm to do so. You don't have to be like David's. 
because we don't know what David's are. But we're given permission here to take our tears, to pray our tears to God. A man named Mark Vrogrop says, what is lament? Lament talks to God about pain. And it has a unique purpose, trust. It is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. That we can't shortchange this process of lament. There's no shortcuts around it. If you don't go there, then you're going to remain emotionally unhealthy. It's just true. If you don't go to lament when God is taking you there, you're, you're going to remain emotionally unhealthy, spiritually unhealthy, undeveloped. Those tears are valuable in the sight of the Lord. The two different alternatives to lament is denial or despair. Denial is when we fake fine. How are you doing? I'm doing fine but you're not. You're wasting away on the inside. But we don't want to say we're wasting away on the inside, right? Because that makes us look weak. That makes us look foolish. Guess what, church? We got a weak gospel for foolish people. And it shows the strong power and the wisdom of our God. So why would not God use the weak and foolish things to show his strength and his power? Lament is designed for people through our tears to see the hidden reality of Christ. And we have that privilege. And which is why we should not avoid it. We can't fake fine. It's okay to say, I'm not okay. It really is. And if we can't do that in church, where else are we going to do it? Where else are we going to take our tears if we can't bring them here to the body of believers under the lordship of God and plead with the plead to the Lord with those tears. So we must not fake find everything is not okay because we live in a broken world. What are you lamenting this morning? Maybe it's something close like the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's something far off. I, I heard this week of a uh, a young man who took his own life in a community not far from here, 13 years old. Can we not cry over those things? Can we not even just say that everything's not okay if that's happening in the world around me? Like we are meant to shed tears. The other thing is despair. That's the other alternative, despair. You can give in to hopelessness. You can give in to helplessness. You could think that God is cruel. You could think that you are cursed. You could think that somehow you deserve what you're getting. That your life is relegated to eternal sadness. You could resign yourself to a life without God because somehow you didn't deserve this. And so God is not to be trusted. God is not to be uh, revered or worshipped. And so you live your life with your face turned away from God. Surely it's okay to understand or to even think, as David does, to feel as though God's face is turned away from you. He says it right here. How long, O Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? But notice, David doesn't take those thoughts away from God. He takes them to God. He pleads to God in the midst of the how long. David's not asking for information. He's asking for empathy. And that's what we need from our God is understanding. And so when we bring our tears, our sorrows, and our sadness, it compels the empathy of our Creator. To have oneness with His people and humanity. His confession expresses these feelings. The feeling that He's not noticed by God. The feeling that God has hidden Himself from David. The feeling that David would be in this continual state of grief talks about having counsel that is absent of God. I mean, you're trying to seek understanding, but you can't understand God or his heart. And then he also he, he, he says, how long must my enemies exalt over me or prevail over me? It, it, it's almost as if the, the world around him is saying, where's your God now, David? Where's your God now? Now, we, we all theologically know that the gospel is not one of health, wealth, and prosperity. We all theologically know that, right? We, we all know that Jesus did not die to put a silver spoon in our mouth and to give us this perfect life here on planet Earth. We all know that. I mean, you read the scriptures and you see the testimony of the disciples and you see that that is very true. But do we really believe it when the rubber meets the road and when sorrow and sadness are on our doorstep and suffering is there? Do we really believe it? That there is an immeasurable worth that comes from that sorrow and sadness. That we consider everything lost except to know Christ as Lord. And God is inspiring through that pain, the knowledge of the holy. Psalm 38, 9 and 10 cries out, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me in the light of my eyes. It is also gone from me. Psalm 77, verses 1 through 3. I cry out to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord, and in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Psalm 6, 6 and 7. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. You know one of the foes that we all face? Death. Death. Death is not natural. Death is not meant to be. And we all face it. We all face it ourselves because in 100 years, all new people. None of us are going to be here. Well, maybe, maybe one, <laughs> right? So there is also the reality of death comes to the ones whom we love. I had to learn lament in the passing of my father. It was so 
hard. Four years ago, February 28th, 2019, said goodbye to my dad, and I did not want to. I did not want to. I was so mad at God. He felt so distant. It was so hard. You know, here's a guy that was the voice I longed to hear saying, I'm proud of you, son. And I would never hear it again. Here's the, the, the man who I would go to and ask for practical wisdom because he was such a wise man. And I would never receive it again from him. But from the replaying memories of some of his vice that he gave me. Here, here is a man that had financial stability and security that if something grew wrong, I just always knew I had that in my back pocket. Now it's gone, right? What did that force me to do? Turn from my earthly father to my heavenly father, who is the one who gave him to me anyway. There is no absence. I still have a father who loves me. And in the midst of my dad's absence, yes, I grieve. But I grieve with a hope that says that death is not the end. And so I don't have to give in to despair. And I bring those tears to God. You know, four years later, I'm doing much better than I was four years ago, but I'm not fine. It's still hard. I tried to rehearse that little bit that I just did with you all so I didn't cry. <laughs> you know, like the ugly cry while I was up here. <laughs> we need God in the middle of those places and don't suppress your tears. Take those tears to the Lord. Even in your utter weakness, even in your complete helplessness, God does not push them away, but through those tears, you draw in the presence of God. David's confession is a complaint. And when the complaints go to heaven, they don't go to a resource officer or to a customer service agent. It goes directly to our Lord. He wants that. So it's okay to bring them to him. Second point is the asking the crying, like the cry, the prayer. God loves to hear our prayers. He loves to commune with us. You are not less of a Christian because you, you bring your supplications, your asking of things before God. You are not any less of a Christian for doing that. And he invites you to come and to ask him. Notice what David asks Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David asks three things. The first thing he says is to consider or to take notice of me, to look at me. God, look at me, recognize me, see my state. This is a cry for God's presence. Man, if we don't go to God in our tears, then we, we are missing the beautiful opportunity to ask the Lord to be with us. 
That's the greatest thing that we can experience is the, the witness of God. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so we're invited to, to seek God in those tears. In, in those tears, God doesn't draw away from us, but he draws near us. So we say to God, look at me, notice me. Notice the pain that I'm going through because we need empathy. We need that. And we need that from our creator. He's designed us that way. So he invites us to ask for his presence. What a, what a sad thing it is in life when we walk around void of God's presence. Feeling empty. Feeling as if God is so distant. When God is present, always, like that is the promise of God. Christ is here now, church. The Holy Spirit is ministering among us. This is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God is speaking to you through his word. He is establishing his presence afresh and anew right here in you this morning. But yet, when we feel so distant we want God to take notice of us. It was in the middle of my grief. I was two, 2020. Felt like the whole world was falling apart. Right? Anybody else in COVID? <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, and and uh, there's this, it was kind of like the perfect cocktail of, of challenges. Uh, I, was, I was faking fine as it related to my dad's death. I mean, that, that's hard. Like, my dad died, and I had to now go into, you know, estate, managing the estate. I had to sell his company, the company that had provided for me when I was in college, the company that had uh, provided for me growing up. You know, I had, to, I had to go in there. I had to sell his business. I had, there's so many other things I had to do, and I just, just kind of plowed through it, man. I just put on my happy face, uh, I, uh, and, 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 I, and I got it done. But inside, I was wasting away. And then you had what was COVID-19, you know, and you had all the turmoil that happened related to that, right? Anybody get out of that unscathed? Masks and no masks and Republican or Democrat or all these other issues that go along with that. You're feeling all divided by one another. And then on top of that, a place that I also found a sense of security in the church was not feeling very secure, <laughs> People weren't coming. I wasn't getting my approval idol stroked, right? I wasn't getting the, the things that would make me feel good about myself. They, they, weren't, they weren't coming for me in that time. People were leaving the church and all these other uh, issues that were happening. And then I started to think that maybe I'm cursed. Maybe there's a problem with me. On top of that, in the middle of all those things, I felt the absence of God's presence. I, I, I was like, I, I did not feel that he was there. And then my anxiety level, if, it was, if I had a resting anxiety rate and you had an anxiety scale between 1 and 10, I would say that a resting anxiety rate was like a 7. And then it would shoot up to 8 or 9, and, and maybe at best it would go down to a 6. That's no way to live one's life. That's so hard. And so by God's grace, I was given a sabbatical over that time. And I went out to the mountains of Colorado um, I was, uh, a church sponsored me to have counseling. Um, and not everybody can do this, but if you can, you should, it's really good. 
had this beautiful cottage in the middle of the mountains, like 9,500 feet up. And there's only thing I had to worry about was like cooking breakfast and making a fire in the furnace. It was beautiful. I had three hours of counseling each day. That, that could be scary, right? I mean, that, some of you are like, no, stick a knife in my skull. I don't want counseling for three hours each day. And that, that might have been the way I felt. But there was this beautiful, I had been praying. And I asked people to pray for me before I went on my sabbatical. It's a great way to pray for Pastor Steve as he's away. Um, is, God, I just want your presence. That's all I want. And I didn't think I would get it. I honestly thought that that might be the end of ministry. I, might, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't imagine ministry five years away. And so how could I last in ministry another five months? And so I prayed for God's presence. And it was, it was crazy how when that prayer that I've been praying, and I prayed it for a long time. It's not just the snap of a finger. Like I prayed this prayer for a long time. And, and when I got into that cabin, and after the first session with uh, the counselor, um, the, the angst left me. Like, my anxiety was so bad, I had this, like, eyelid twitch that just, like, stop, stop twitching. I got my reading glasses on. I don't need these glasses on. Anyway, I, got to, I had to plan that. Um, and so I, all these things were, were so difficult, but yet in an instant, like, I felt the wonderful presence of our creator God as he met me in my despair, in my loneliness, in my isolation, in the areas that I felt like I was cursed. And he saw me, he considered me. And today I'm preaching from a renewed sense of confidence. And that was, you know, two and a half years ago. God's gracious and he works in a powerful way. And he wants to show us in those times of brokenness and aloneness that he's with us. The second thing that David asks for God is to answer him. Just answer me, God. What answer me? What, what prayers are you praying? Where do you need God's answering of your life? God, if you don't come through here, I'm through. Pray those prayers. He loves your pleas. And then he says in the, uh, he says uh Light up my eyes. In, in other words, give me wisdom and understanding. Give me enlightenment. And God gives these things as we ask. And the alternative to these things, David's well aware of. He says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I can't survive like this. Lest my enemies say there is no God because they're prevailing over me. That was at stake. That's why the psalmist says in 115, our God is in the heavens and he does all that pleases him. Why can anybody say, where is their God? Because our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And part of God's pleasure is that he's with you in your pain. And he gives you understanding right smack dab in the middle of it. Our prayers of lamentation are powerful because they seek close fellowship with him. You got to remember, Christianity is not a religion. You got to remember that. It's not you do right and so you get good things, or you do bad so you get bad things. God wants intimate fellowship with his people, he wants communion. And part of that communion is authentically finding God in your sadness. 
And that communion, if it's absent of that, like like I'm just telling you, God's going to use it in your life. He has. And so embrace it because that fellowship is given in the pain. Think about anybody you're interconnected with um, in, in a relationship. It could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be your spouse. Like what builds intimacy in those moments, what builds intimacy is the trials that we go through and the understanding that happens. And, and if you turn away from one another, it gets, it gets cold and stoic and hard, but you turn towards one another with a, a deep openness and, and, and awaiting what God could do and not having all the answers and that's okay. God speaks and he brings you together. And so David asks boldly for these things. So here's a practical thing that I think is, is a challenge in our culture and a renewed challenge that we all find ourselves in is that part of why it's really hard to lament is because of this thing right here, right? This is a distraction device. This thing is something that steals our sorrow and causes us to give in to denial or despair. And so be careful. Last week I said to my church, we're talking about in Colossians where Paul says, set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. And, and how can we set our minds on the things that are above when we're carrying around hell in our pockets? right? Like we, we're trying to find approval on social media. We quickly turn away from pain because we don't understand its purpose. And, and, and so we point to something that we, we turn our hearts or gaze to something that'll fill us up. And so don't pray to your phone. Don't commune with your phone. This is a bad soulmate. This is a bad idol. It's a bad God. And I'm not just talking about your phone. I'm talking about all the things that need to be decluttered in our lives and our hearts. But we have to recognize the thing that causes us to be in avoidance of God. And man, the devil just delivers it to us to where it's with us all the time. Worldliness is not just an idea. Worldliness is something that we bring to bed with us. We wake up first thing in the morning and we look at it and we say goodnight to it rather than going to the Lord. So that's just a note of caution. That's a note of get help where you need to, to get disconnected from it, because it can easily steal your sorrow, because we know that with sorrow comes joy in the morning. And so you're missing out on a rejoicing that comes. Mark Furtado, he's a scholar on the Psalms. He says, most of us has experienced trouble to one degree or another, and for longer or shorter stretches of time. The journey of life may take us over very difficult terrain. Adversity replaces prosperity. Turmoil swallows up tranquility. Chaos obliterates order. Doubt replaces faith. Though happy songs can hardly pass from our lips at such times, God has nevertheless given us songs to sing even then. These are the songs of lament. Don't think for a moment that because of your tears, you don't have a song to sing. Remember, David goes from desolation to delight within six verses. 
Circumstances have not changed. In his desolation, he still has a song of delight. And this is where we trust in the unfailing love of God. Verse 5. But I have trusted in you, in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And then he says, I will sing to the Lord. So in the middle of your pain, sing. Sing the songs of heaven. Sing the songs of joy. My sin, oh the bliss, this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He has nailed it to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. You see where this trust is the undercurrent that is working in the background of David's lament where he is giving himself to what he cannot see but he knows is there and that's that God's love is unfailing and that God spares no good gifts from his children and so he must receive what's in front of him as a good gift of God. And so must we. There's not one thing in our life that God has not predestined and planned that we would walk through. And God knows that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we turn to God in His unfailing love. That unfailing love, the, the, the Israelites had, had one word for it. The Hebrew has said, it's the never-ending love. Carolyn James says, Hesed is a costly, voluntary, stubborn brand of love that involves going above and beyond what anyone has the right to ask or expect. God's Hesed is the bedrock of his people. He is the rock of ages. Don't let your house be built on sand. Don't let those tears waste away your foundation. Bring them to God and find the bedrock of Christ because God himself is not immune to your tears. And so we trust in the steadfast love of Christ. You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane shows us God's lament. Think God didn't lament? He did. He did. And he knew the end of the story. He knew it. Like, like Jesus cried over Lazarus when he knew he would raise him from the grave. He knew he would go there and show this miraculous power, but yet he entered into the tears because he experienced himself. Because Jesus, when he came into this broken world, took on our lament. And yet he still healed Lazarus. And Lazarus did one day die. Lazarus did not live forever. He died the death that we, you and I will face. But Jesus actually took on the greater death, the death for Lazarus, the death for you and me. And in the garden, we hear Jesus saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Tears of grief that were so significant that Jesus was sweating drops of blood when Jesus was on the cross, what was his cry? It was Psalm 20, 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John Stott, he says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. 
The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as the God on the cross. In a real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arm folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away. And in my imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in a world as ours. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didn't stumble to the throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone, the one who carries his wounds on our behalf. He was the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. What makes you think that you can't bring your tears to him this morning? Your sin, notwithstanding, you can come to God. Because that cross shows us that Jesus took on not only your pain, but your sins. And it makes... Christianity, not a religion, but a relationship in which that we are reconciled to God and God as our Father wants to cry with us. He wants us to be noticed. He wants to answer us. He wants us to trust him. So will you trust him this morning, church? Let's pray.